The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. The word of God speaks to us like this. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for is not right. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spinning, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Micah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Hey, my name is Bryce Johnson. I am a pastoral resident here at Frontline Yukon, if we haven't had a chance to meet. Um, and it is a joy and honor to be here. Um, it's a joy and honor to serve you guys and serve alongside you guys. Um, it's been incredibly uh, unique and awesome. Well, if you're new here, uh, we've been walking through Mark's gospel, uh, Mark's biography, if you will, of Jesus. Um, If you've ever read uh, a biography, or actually if you've ever read multiple biographies of a person, uh, you realize that not all biographies are the same. There's there's different stories, different instances, different emphases that uh, authors and biographers are trying to communicate uh, about uh, the the person. I uh, skimmed through uh, a couple biographies um, last year of um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, one of them was great, and, ama- and it was just like, man, he's just this solid, lion-hearted man who, uh, you know, basically just stuck it up against Hitler and just advanced the cause of Christianity. And this other biography said, yeah, he did all these things, but he was also deeply flawed and, uh, and hurt and broken in so many ways. And, and what they were trying to do is just is emphasize and show these unique characteristics of this person. And that's sort of what we see in the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament. They're they're showing us different images, different emphases, different pictures of Jesus and his life. And what Mark is showing us is this portrait of this King Jesus, this Savior who is King and that, that everyone has been waiting for, but he's unlike anything that they've experienced um, or anything that they expected, really. Um, This king is not like the government rulers who exploit them and use them. 
but he's also not like the religious leaders who are just filled with hypocrisy, who keep up this exterior morality but ignore the weightier things of the law, like justice um, and inner holiness. He breaks their boxes. He breaks their categories um, and stereotypes. And as uh, our congregational pastor, Chad Puckett, often says, when you expect him to zig, he zags. He is always shifting courses. Now, this morning, we see uh, two very different stories. It's different scenarios that seem opposite to one another. Um, and if we're not careful, we can uh, see the stories, we could uh, hear them, and we can think, man, I, I know that story, or I've heard that before. Um, or we can just kind of fall into this funk. We prayed about it this morning in our, in our gathering time of just, man, it's just two more miracles. It's another, it's another exorcism. You know, it's Jesus doing what he's doing, and we can grow numb, especially where we are in Bible Belt Christianity, um, of just feeling like this is just another miracle. And my hope and prayer is that that's not us this morning. Because I think what, what, what these stories are going to show us is the same, they're both going to show us the same thing, that's, that desperate and weak people find healing in Jesus. In fact, all through the Gospels, that's what you see. It's, it's broken people, it's hurting people um, that find Jesus. Those who think that they know it, those who think that they've got it together, those who think that they know where Jesus is going, they actually end up missing him. Um, it's why the religious leaders miss it. It's why the Pharisees miss it. And so my hope and prayer is that we would not miss it this morning. Um, and so if you would, if you would bow your heads uh, and take a moment. Um, would you uh, take, take a second and pray for the person to the left and right of you that the Lord would speak to them deeply? And would you take a moment now and just pray that God would soften your heart to see your own need for grace and mercy? And would you take a moment and just pray for me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that uh, your word is sure and true um, and that it is always speaking to us. In fact, we can read a text a hundred times and your spirit would continue to reveal more of who you are. And so God, would you do that this morning? God, would you take these stories, would you take this text, God, and would you make them alive? God, would you show us our need for you? God, would you... Uh, destroy and dismantle and break down any semblance of self-righteousness um, or hardness of heart. Um, and God, would you, would we be as clay in your hands? To your sons and we pray, amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, if you were here last week, we saw um, this throwdown between Jesus and the Pharisees on what actually makes something or someone clean. They, the Pharisees were upset that Jesus and his disciples weren't washing their hands before eating. Um, and Jesus essentially reframes, hey, this is what true religion looks like. This is uh, what cleanliness really looks like. This is actually what defiles you. is not what you do with your hands. It's not what you eat or consume, but it's actually the posture of your heart. And you, what we need is heart transformation. And so immediately on the heels of that, 
Jesus, it feels like Jesus is almost snubbing his nose at the Pharisees. He goes to uh, this Gentile region. Now, Gentiles were considered inherently unclean. They were considered defiled, rotten to the core, if you will, by, by the Jewish folks. Gentiles just mean non-Jewish folks. And so in this previous passage, Jesus was talking to Jews and religious leaders, God's chosen people. But now he's going to talk to people who fundamentally seem opposed to God, who the Jews believe are unclean from the inside, uh, for, for, from the inside out. And so with that context in mind, let's enter the scripture, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And so what we're seeing is Jesus is looking for some rest. He's been running on all cylinders. He's been walking on water. He's been feeding uh, thousands. He's been doing these miracles, exercising demons. And what he needs is just to get away. He needs some R&R. And so he goes away to a foreign country uh, to, to try to get away, to try to find a place where no one knows him. Um, and just a side note, isn't it comforting to know that even Jesus sometimes needed to get away? He wasn't just a robot. He wasn't just uh, operating on autopilot, constantly doing, but he, even he wanted to get off the grid. Even Jesus needed a respite from the chaos of life and work and ministry. So Jesus goes away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, but he couldn't remain hidden. His fame was spreading, and a woman shows up at the house that he's staying at, and here's how the Bible describes her. One, she's a woman, and so in this time and space, they're still considered inferior to men. She was socially disadvantaged. On top of that, she's a Gentile, a, a Syrophoenician, and so Gentiles are outsiders, they're non-Jewish people, and so she's separate from God and separate from God's promises and separate from God's covenant. She's not only socially disadvantaged, she's spiritually disadvantaged. And not only is she a woman who's a Gentile, she has this issue. She has a daughter with an unclean spirit. A demon was tormenting her. Um, now, I've, I've read this passage so many times in my life, but, but this week as I was sitting in it, it just it hits differently uh, when, when you're a parent. It hits different when you have a daughter. And when your child is suffering, as any parent would tell you, then it, it, really, it really gets to you. Yesterday, I was, I was watching... Uh, or supposed to be watching my daughter, uh, we, we were uh, playing where I kind of chased her and she giggles and just runs and uh, she ran straight into our brick fireplace. Um, immediately starts crying and I rush over and there's blood everywhere. And, and I know preachers maybe tend to exaggerate sometimes, but literally there's blood everywhere just seeping from her face onto her dress and uh, man, in that moment, one, I was like, I'm a terrible father, uh, but two, Everything in me just, 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 just hurt for my daughter, right? Just wanted to comfort her, wanted to wrap her up, wanting to clean her up, and then wanting to fight this brick fireplace, right? Like I wanted to punch it. I would lose for sure, but, but I was just so upset at this obstacle and so hurting and in pain. And what I wanted to do was just comfort her. What I wanted to do was just make things better. And if you're a parent in here, you've surely felt that at some point. Now imagine if your child had a demon tormenting them. 
this is what's happening. This woman shows up and she falls at the feet of Jesus in desperation. All she knows is that Jesus is in town and he has the power and he has the ability to help her daughter. The passage says she falls at Jesus' feet and she begs him to help her daughter. Jesus, help my daughter. Jesus, I have nowhere else to go. She has no other leg to stand on, nothing to make her claim, just her desperation, the desperation of a mother. And then how does Jesus answer her? Verse 27 says, And he, being Jesus, said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Right? It feels like the strangest and most callous thing to say to a suffering mother, doesn't it? It seems so bizarre. She's asking for help, not even for her, for her daughter. And not only does Jesus seem to say no, he seems to be calling her and her daughter dogs. Now, we love dogs in our society, right? We are a very pet-friendly society. I know many of you in here who... Uh, who, who have a dog. Um, some of you have more than one dog, and God bless you. Um, I, I love dogs, but um, the way I feel about dogs is the way I feel about a PlayStation 5. Uh, I want to have friends who have one and play with theirs. <laughs> People go crazy with their dogs, right? My, my, my parents got a dog after I moved out, and it's the most bizarre thing. Uh, I've never seen my dad show that much affection to anything or anyone, right? Like, not even his wife. Um, <laughs> I have a brother and a sister, and my dad calls Tucker, the dog, his third son, all right? He FaceTimes the dog even when he's at the grocery store. Uh, he, uh, when my mom's out, he, he gets Tucker to jump into bed. Never mind that Tucker, you know, has just sniffed his poop and tracks in mud and walks, all, you know, literally eats garbage if we let him. It's the strangest thing. Right, and we have doggy daycare, and we have uh, pet insurance and surgery for dogs. We love dogs. I am grateful for that. But as much as we love dogs, what if someone called you a dog? We wouldn't be happy, right? We'd be mad, maybe even sad. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's speaking in a parable, a metaphor, if you will. See, God had chosen Israel as his chosen people to be a light to the rest of the world. God's plan for salvation to go to the ends of the earth for his kingdom to expand was through Jews first to take the good news to all peoples, to all tongues, to all nations, including Gentiles like this Syrophoenician woman. And so in the plan of salvation, Jesus came to the Jews first to take the message of the gospel to them. It's why Jesus was a Jewish man. He did most of his teachings and most of his miracles in Judea. And then after Jesus' resurrection, before he goes into heaven, he commissions or instructs his disciples to now take this good news and take it to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not that Jesus doesn't like Gentiles, it's just that there's a divine order to it so that the covenant people could take this light and take it to the world. And this is why Paul says in Romans 2, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God's salvation for everyone who believes. And then he says, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. See, Jesus is speaking in a parable about his mission to feed his children first. It's not that others won't get fed. It's, not, it's just not time yet. 
to feed the Gentiles. In a home, the children would eat first, and then the pets, the household dogs, and everyone else would eat. And so Jesus, as he often does, speaks in a parable. Now watch how the woman responds. She answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, how would we expect this woman to respond? Well, we'd expect her to respond with some indignation, right? Like, even if he's speaking in a parable, it's like, well, I get who I am in the parable. I'm clearly the dog, um, and I don't like how you're referencing me. But that's not what we see, right? We see humility. Her response is not one of indignation or being offended. Jesus, how dare you call me a dog? Jesus, how dare you not heal my daughter right now? Jesus, how dare you tell me to wait? No, her response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, you're right. What you have said is right. But notice that she does not, not only does she not get offended, she also doesn't walk away in shame either. She doesn't just say, yes, Jesus, woe is me. I am a dog. I'm unworthy and walk away. No, what she says is, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She didn't just go away with her head down. She acknowledged her station in humility, but then she clung to the overabundant mercies of God. See, what's remarkable is that this is the first picture that we have in all the Gospels of someone who actually understands the parables of Jesus. The crowds don't understand it. Jesus' own disciples don't understand it. They're always asking him, hey, what did you mean by that? Hey, why are you talking in parables? And he's often having to pull away and explain the parables to them. And over and over, Jesus speaks in parables, but this woman understands it. But not only does she understand it, she enters into it. And she answers Jesus from within the parable. See, she saw her place within the Jesus' parable, and she takes hold of it, and then she bases her plea off of it. Yes, Lord, yes, Jesus, I am who you say I am, but I know that you have enough mercy and you have enough grace at the table, and I know that there's enough bread even for me. And I know there's so much bread on the table, there's so much food that even the dogs can eat right now. I know there's enough for me even right now. See, friends, this right here is the crux of Christian faith. It's humility but it's also confidence in the abundant mercy and grace of God. We see who we are, and we also see who Jesus is and who we are in him. So friends, how do we respond, or how do we approach God in his mercy? Do you feel entitlement and offense when the Bible says, hey, you're actually not that great and you need a savior? Or do we approach him with uh, do we approach it with shame and self-deprecation and, man, I'm so terrible? See, what's dangerous is that second part, right? This, this feeling of shame and self-loathing can sometimes feel like spirituality, can sometimes feel like repentance, but that's not real repentance. See, neither of them are the answer. It's humility and hopeful confidence, and that's what this woman does. And how does Jesus respond? He says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she goes home and finds that her daughter is well. Matthew's gospel shares the same story. And in that, he says, Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. This is great faith that you have humility and you have confidence in my ability and confidence in me. 
Now, we could hear that story, and we could think, okay, what I need to have is the right attitude, right, the right statement, and if I do the right thing, then maybe Jesus will meet me. But the next story shows us that that's not true. So let's go to the next story. Verse, Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Then he, being Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. It's another one of those stories where, where, you know, the WWJD bracelets doesn't seem to work. You're like, Jesus, can you do that? <laughs> Jesus continues his travel. He's looking for rest. He's still in this, in this Gentile region. And some people bring to him a man who's deaf and he's got a speech impediment. And they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, just touch him. All they're looking for is a blessing. But what does Jesus do instead? He takes this man and he pulls him away privately. This man who is deaf, but it says he has a speech impediment, and so he probably became deaf later in life because he's able to speak, but he can't speak clearly. This man who's probably been a spectacle most of his life to those around him. He's probably been poked and prodded at, probably shouted at because he can't hear and ridiculed because of the way he talks. He's probably used to people staring at him and pointing and talking about him and not knowing what they're saying, but knowing that they're talking about him. Jesus pulls this man aside away from the crowd so that this man won't be a spectacle. He's offering him dignity. He's not going to let his interaction with this man turn into a sideshow. And then Jesus does something so, so strange. Instead of just healing the man with a word like he often does, it feels like Jesus gives this man a wet willy. Jesus puts his fingers into Jesus, into the man's ears. And then he spits and touches the man's tongue. And then he looks up to heaven and sighs. Jesus, who's alone with this man who cannot hear, seems to be communicating something about the healing, right? Think about it. Jesus, who calms the storm with just a word and who casts out demons just by speaking it. And sometimes he does amazing things by not even speaking at all. He could have done that. I mean, we just saw Jesus cast a demon out of a little girl, and he didn't even go to see her, right? He didn't, he didn't go to her and recite some incantation. He just told her mom, hey, go home. Your daughter's okay. If all Jesus cared about was healing this man, he could have just said a word. He could have just done it. But instead, Jesus wants the man to know he's not just a project. He's not just another healing in an endless line of healings. Jesus uses tactile cues and, and visual cues. He touches the man's tongue and his ears to indicate his plan to address those issues. Spit was commonly regarded in ancient times and even some contemporary cultures. My grandmother still thinks that if I spit and touch my scars, the scars will go away. Spit was commonly regarded as something that had curative powers. Jesus looks up to heaven and sighs and indicates his plan to 
to, to heal the man with God's help. It feels like Jesus is using sign language to communicate with this man. of Like, hey, I've got you. Hey, I'm about to do something. Hey, don't worry. This is not me being invasive. I care about you. And gently, patiently, tenderly, Jesus enters into this man's world, into his worldview, into his way of communicating, and he meets the man where he is at. He meets him in his brokenness, and he gently lifts his head. Isn't our Jesus amazing? Frontline Church, God doesn't just care about crowds and masses. He cares about individual people like you and me, and he cares for us in our need. He meets us where we're at. See, Jesus' plan for this deaf and mute man was individualized to what his need was. That's the nature of God who doesn't just issue a one-size-fits-all approach to care and mercy and love, but meets us in the ways we need to be met. See, this man didn't just need physical healing. He needed that. But more than that, this man also needed emotional healing and psychological healing and spiritual healing. He needed the comfort of a gentle savior. Friends, do you know your need? And what's crazy is this man doesn't even do anything to trigger that. He, he, can't, he can't even, he doesn't even ask Jesus for it. Jesus just does it to another undeserving, disadvantaged, weak Gentile. It's because of his abundant grace and mercy. Now notice the crowd's response to Jesus' healing and the deaf man. The deaf and mute man it says, and they, being the crowds and his friends, were astonished beyond measure, saying, "He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak." They're marveling at Jesus. They're saying, "Jesus, wow!" And if you're anything like me, you can read that verse, and it sounds like a soft clap, right? Jesus, everything you do is so well. Way to go, Jesus! Good job. You do everything in a good way. But that phrase, he has done all things well, is nearly identical to a phrase that we see in Genesis 1. See, in Genesis 1, God, before sin has come into the world and broken everything, we see that God makes everything, and then he gets into the ground, and he forms man, and then he bends down, and he breathes life into him. And at the end of everything, it says that God stood back, And he looked at everything, and God saw everything he had made, and it was very good. And the phrase that these people say in Mark, he has done all things well, is more accurately described. Everything he has made is good. See, what we're seeing is that like God in Genesis 1, Jesus is doing this work of recreation, of remaking everything that has been broken. This is the kingdom of God advancing. It's the power of the gospel that is renewing and remaking all things. It's, it's new creation. But not only, not only does this verse echo what God did back in Genesis 1, it's actually pointing forward to what the Holy Spirit continues to do. See, they marvel and they say, hey, he has done all things well. And then they say, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I'm not going to get into the, the, the Greek grammar of it, but it's this present, ongoing nature. They're literally saying Jesus is making the deaf hear and the mute speak, meaning Jesus is right now doing all these good things and making all things new. 
And friends, that's, that's the testimony of scripture. He is still doing the work of restoring what's been broken. See, it's not just that he has made you new, that's true. If you were in Christ this morning, you became a new creation the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And it's not just that he will make you new, though that's true too. One day you and I who are in Christ will be given new, glorified, indestructible bodies, incorruptible bodies. No, what this text is showing us is that right now, in this moment, Jesus, through his spirit, is making you new. It's, it's the work of sanctification. He has unblocked our ears to hear the gospel. He has loosened our tongues to proclaim his goodness. And he is working in the here and now, in your present circumstance, in the midst of your pain and brokenness that you're walking through right now. And by the power of his spirit, he's forming you and he's forming me into his image. And it's pointing us to the hope that will one day come. But how does that come? How does that happen? Well, it's because of what Jesus has done. The word that Mark uses to describe speech impediment in verse 32, uh, describing this man, it's a super rare word. It's only used one other time in all of the Bible. That's in Isaiah 35. And Isaiah 35 is describing this one day when this Messiah is going to come. God is going to come and he's going to save his people and he's going to rescue his people and he's going to restore and redeem them and he's going to reverse all these things that were broken. And so hear this, hear this text from Isaiah 35. It says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, if you have an anxious heart, hear this, be strong, fear not, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. See, what Mark wants us to see is that in case you had any doubt, in case you were still on the fence, this Messiah, this Christ has come. God himself has come to save us, and he's come in the person of Jesus. And do you know how we know? You know how we know? It's because the blind can see. It's because the deaf can hear. It's because the lame can walk. And here's how it happens. In verse 4, it says, because God has come with vengeance and judgment. And maybe you're thinking, what? That's not how Jesus came. He came like a baby. He came gentle and lowly. But the reality is that Jesus came and brought vengeance and the judgment of God, but not on you and me, not on the governments and kings, but he came and brought judgment against sin and Satan and the power of death. And the kingdom of God comes because Jesus battled not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, and he did it by bearing the judgment of God and the wrath of God against sin upon himself. And so friends, we can come to Jesus in humility and hopeful confidence. We can come to him in our weakness and our desperation. We can experience the gentle and tender compassion of God, not because of what we've done, but because Jesus bore the weight of what we should have borne. Because Jesus was treated like a dog, we get to be children at the table of the Father. 
Because Jesus came with a vengeance and destroyed the crippling power of sin and shame and death in his life and death and resurrection, we get to be called children of God. It's right there in the verse. Frontline, what this passage just said, and I think what Mark is trying to tell us is that Jesus has come and he takes your brokenness and he restores it. He takes your pain and my pain and your suffering and my suffering and he redeems it. And that sounds great. As I was sitting with the sermon this week, I was, I was just thinking, man, that sounds so good. It sounds so great when a preacher says that. But do I, do I feel that? Do I walk in that? And part of it was because this week I've, I've wrestled with uh, grief and loss uh, in, in some unique ways. Um, some of my best friends in the world uh, had to say goodbye to their 19-week-old little girl. And then a buddy of mine had to tell his seven-year-old daughter that, hey, there's something wrong with your body and there's something growing in your spine. And then I had to say goodbye to her last night. I was wrestling with yesterday with just 20 years of this tragedy that hit this country and, 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 and countless people lost and, 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 and just all the effects of that, even, even prejudices and, and, and trauma that's come from that and think, God, how can you restore and redeem that? Here's where I've been, um, here's where I've been banking my hope for the last few days. It's been believing this truth that he indeed has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Can I offer you this assurance that he has done all things well? He even comforts the brokenhearted and is near to those who are burdened with grief. Friends, he has done all things well. He even restores broken marriages and makes them new. Friends, he has done all things well. He even heals the pain of shattered hopes and dreams. He has done all things well. He even befriends those who have been betrayed and is near to the lonely. He has done all things well. He even takes tragedy, what man meant for evil, and means it for good. He has done all things well. He even takes middle-class Yukonites and changes them with the power of resurrection life. He has done all things well. He even takes cancer and miscarriage and stillbirth and will one day make it untrue. He has done all things well. He even saves and forgives sinners in need of mercy and grace. Friends, he has done all things well and behold, he is making all things new. Let's pray.